This is Women and Justice, and I am your host, Dr. Shante James. The focus today is probation. So of course, I wanted to talk to the first community outreach coordinator in Dauphin County. She has worked within the field for over 17 years. Serving, and yes, I said serving, adolescents and their families in both the behavioral and mental health field and juvenile justice system. Additionally, she is the co-chair of DCPS Diversity and Inclusion Committee, which is known as EDIT, Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Team. Through this opportunity, she's obtained two DEI certifications through Cornell. She sits on the statewide PA DEI team, the statewide PA Race and Diversity Committee, and is involved with the SAGI, which is Sexual Orientation, Gender, Identity, and Expression Committee. Needless to say, I, she has no time. I would be remiss if I did not mention that she is an active member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority, Inc. It is with a humble heart and pleasure that I now turn the podium over to our speaker and request that she tell you a little bit about herself beyond my introduction. All right. Well, I'm born and raised here in Harrisburg, a product of Central Dolphin School District. Um, but in addition to that, professional, well, academically, I'll start out graduate of Shippensburg University um, in 2002. Um, as soon as I graduated, I matriculated back to um, Harrisburg area, um, and I have been working in the field of criminal justice um, probation specifically since 2005. So I just um, kind of celebrated my 18th um, year of being employed here at Dauphin County Probation Services. Um, in addition to uh, my professional background, um, I've done quite a bit in the community, um, in the faith-based organizations, through my church where I was born and raised, Shiloh Church of God in Christ. I know that happy for that shout out. (laughs) Yes, I have to give a shout out. Um, Our entire family born and raised there. Um, So faith-based wise, that's where I was, you know, my foundation lies um, within the community and organizationally. Um, very proud member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, where I'm currently our chapter president. Um, I've held many leadership pro or many leadership positions, um, but then more so, you know, professionally, I'm very proud of the strides that um, I have made thus far. Um, I don't know if you want me to go more into that, but we're good. I'm going to actually have you talk a little bit about how you went into probation specifically first before I delve into some deeper questions. Okay, so probation, (laughs) I applied to probation three different occasions (laughs) before (laughs) I got here. Um, fresh out of school. So I needed a job. Not only did I need a job, but I wanted a job in my field of study, um, which that was, you know, criminal justice and juvenile justice specifically. Um, So I applied three times. Um, I was very persistent with it and I was not stopping until I landed, you know, my feet in the door. Um, But prior to even getting to this door, um, I served with Youth Advocate Program, as well as Cornell Abraxas, um, doing a lot of work with family and children specifically in the mental health and behavioral health 
um, fields um, in the school settings, the home settings, and the community settings. And so essentially, me getting to probation in 2005, it was yet a, you know, a stepping stone um, for me professionally. Um, once I got here, um, I was in our community-based supervision unit for one year, and then I matriculated or transitioned, I should say, into our school-based, our Harrisburg City school-based um, office or unit. And I have been there for 16 and a half years. And then the ball continued to roll. <laughs> okay. So as I think one of the things that's fantastic about your background is that you work with juveniles. So it's, to me, a population that we have a tendency to just... I don't know if the word is ignore or marginalize or maybe a combination of both. So in kind of looking at the historical and then bringing me forward to today, how do we um, perceive the juveniles within the system, your interpretation, or how has it changed over time? It has definitely changed, I will say, um, even from when I started in 2005, and I know it has changed even when I, you know, became, but speaking specifically from when I changed in 2005 to present day, the way in which we um, treat them, um, the way in which we service them, the way in which we view them, it has changed. And what I mean by that is, um, I'd like to say um, when I first began, we used more of a punitive like, not punitive, but punitive like manner in which we um, engaged them, the ways in which we dealt with them and their behaviors and their charges and things of that nature. Now we've we've moved into a more um, softer and gentler um, way. We still hold them accountable, um, but it is not so much to the point where we're just looking to send them away for months and months and months at a time, because that's what we used to do. Um, a young person could be going from six to nine, nine to 12 months. That was not out of the norm. Now they may be going at most 30 to 60 days, just depending on. Um, so the ways in which we actually work with them were more service oriented, utilizing more evidence-based practicing. Um, and so that also changes the way in which we view them. As you ask the question, how do we view them? We're using more assessments, more tools, more methods, um, more of a hands-on approach to engage them in their cognitive and um, the way in which their decision-making and things of that nature. Whereas before it was more, oh, okay, you're not home for house arrest or you violated this, okay. We were at liberty to, unfortunately, detain them off of the smallest things. That's not the case anymore. So we are more engaged with them. And being in this engaged environment, I think of, because I'm more, to me, the textbook person. So, um, you know, I, I teach in class about rehabilitation, but I question whether our reality now, especially when we're looking at juveniles, is it rehabilitation? And I love the way you say serve. So to me, that brings in a, a biblical component to it, but also a mindfulness of saying, I'm here to provide you guidance. Is that the shift you see the organization? And I'm talking about probation going into, or have we always been standing there? I believe they wanted to, but perhaps didn't know how to go about doing that. Um, I do now see because, you know, I have hands on, more of a hands on 
um, in terms of the way in which we serve, specifically in our department. Um, but I do believe across the board, statewide, that is definitely a direction that we're going into serving, getting into the mindset more and more, trying to better understand the challenges of the young person and the family, um, working with not just the young person who may be on probation, but with the family in its entirety, because as we know, it takes a village. So we need to pull in all the support systems as much as possible. Um, and so it is a service. I've, I've always felt that way, but it's just a matter of um, how we go about providing that service. Is, this, is it in our heart or are we just serving because that's what we are mandated by the court, you know, to do so. Okay, and connecting your research and your work with the podcast, where do you see women and I in your field, I I would say young girls in relationship to their counterparts? So I would say I've I before I answer that, I, I will say this. As a probation officer, one of the things and any of my colleagues who've worked alongside me will say this, I've always been very passionate about the young ladies. Um, that were on my case though, so much to the point I would ask um, prior supervisors, can I just be assigned all the young ladies that come through our unit? Um, because I, I'm just naturally, I'm, I'm very motherly. I'm very nurturing um, individual. I like to make sure individuals are okay. But with that, more so the young ladies. Um, but with that, I also like to lead by example. And so I, I mentioned that word lead and being motherly and nurturing because I feel that is a component that is, it's not necessarily non-existent. It is just something that needs to grow more in probation services, leadership of women. Um, we need more of that because we do serve young ladies. We do serve um, young mothers, single mothers. Um, and so it is necessary and important. I truly feel that if we're missing the women in those leadership positions, then there's going to be a component or something missing in us wholeheartedly serving these young ladies and their mothers or families as a whole. So leadership by women, I truly feel um, Again, not non-existent. It's just something that needs to, there needs to be more of. We need to increase it. So in increasing it, are you looking more to classes? Are you looking more to, especially I know you're active in your sorority, linking your sorority, linking more, um, more of the church involved in probation. Where do you think those leadership components can come in? In my opinion, it can come in every single uh, level that you just named. Um, however, of course, you need to start internally. You need to start internally first and foremost. Um, and then you start inward and then you reach out. Um, and then you bring in the community engagement, the community involvement, the faith-based, um, uh, the churches, you know, and um, even the school settings. Um, so every single asset of life or walk of life or way in which leadership can exist, you bring them in to probation services. And then that's where you have, that's where that concept too of it takes a village. It, it takes a village of uh, the community, even when it comes to leadership, um, that it needs to be seen from as many components as possible to better serve those that we're responsible for. 
So it sounds like to me you're calling for more of a holistic and you're and you're saying very clearly that it is there, but it just needs to be increased. But the question I want to pose to you is how is the female juvenile offender different than the male counterpart? Because in that leadership component, would I be offering the same thing to both the male and the female? Or do you think there's different aspects that we're missing concerning that female offender? I know it's loaded. I know it's a loaded question. <laughs> it is. Um, in the 16 and a half years, as I previously stated, I was drawn to working to the females because obviously I am a female. Um and I come from a strong female background, examples and families and things of that nature. So I'm more connected and more relatable in terms of, you know, what I have to offer, um, what I can give and, you know, things of that nature. I think when it comes to young ladies versus the young men, um, we know that young ladies, they can be or we can be um, led more by our emotions. Um, not a lot of males want to deal with that. Let's be very honest, sure. um, especially in the field, um, the field referring to probation officers, which is why I was always, they were very um, quick to want to give me the young ladies. And I was okay with that um, because there's a certain type of way that you do have to handle them, um, a certain type of way that you do have to address, you know, issues and concerns. Um, and the visual ladies. must have been strong too. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. The no, visual, okay. um, I would think, just to see you there to, should would have been strong um, as a role model, I would think. Yes. And as a probation officer, you're wearing so many different hats. And so for a young lady, not only are you their probation officer, but whether you want to be or not, you're motherly, you could be sisterly, you know, you a teacher, um, a mentor and things of that nature. And when a young lady who is assigned to you sees that, they may come to you kicking and screaming initially, you okay. know, in their own choice words, which, okay, I get it. Um, at the same token, um, after a while, when they see that consistency and they see, they see that you're not backing down and they see something that I, the way in which I would um, supervise the young ladies, I would tell them from day one, you know, I'm your probation officer, but first and foremost, I'm a person. I'm going to love you. I'm going to support you like I would my own. However, Ms. Tanessa is always going to, I'm going to dig in your side. I'm going to show you that tough love, you know, when it's needing to be seen as well and felt as well. And they are appreciative of that. And I feel that that correlates as being a leader, not just in the criminal justice field, not just in probation, but a leader anyway. You have to have that balance. You have to be a supportive individual, someone who's empathetic, someone who's passionate. But at the same time, you have to be able to put your foot down and be firm and direct when you're needing to be as well. Same thing as a probation officer and when you're dealing with young ladies. Young ladies need to see that. Young ladies respond to that. They are respectful of that when you approach them in that manner. You don't always have to be harsh and nasty and, you know, I'm going to lock you up. And yes, that comes with the job, unfortunately, not the most, you know, if you have a heart, not the one thing you want to immediately have to go to. 
you get there, you get there, fine. But if you don't, I'm okay with that as well. And so young ladies have been, um, I would like to say, very responsive and very, very respectful of the approach that I've carried as a probation officer over the years. So if that answers your question. It does. Okay, so I know that you've done a lot of research and you're on several boards for a DEI or some form of that. How does that play into what you're doing now and the services that you're providing? Okay, so what I'm doing now, I am no longer a field officer. I am no longer, you know, um, considered a probation officer per se. Instead, um, I am our department's first ever community outreach coordinator. And with that position, number one, I love the position um, because it allows me to bring in all all of my background. (laughs) I I get very passionate and excited about, I look forward to coming to work even more now than I did before. That's good. It's a blessing. (laughs) It's a true blessing. to your question, how does that tie into DEI work, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion? It ties into it greatly. It's interesting that you asked that question because when I first started in this role in 2002, um, I asked that question, I asked that same question. I said, well, how does that have to, what does that have to do with anything? Anyhow, um, it has everything to do with it because As a community outreach coordinator, you need to be um, sensitive to the community. You need to be aware of your community. You have to be willing to, um, number one, come out of your comfort zone as well and engage with individuals who are different than you, um, who have a lot of unique backgrounds and cultural backgrounds and practices and, you know, things of that nature. Um, And so when you're dealing with or when you're fulfilling the role of a community outreach coordinator, you have to be willing to work with um, individuals from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of neighborhoods, um, socioeconomic backgrounds, um, religious backgrounds, you know, things of that nature, willing to treat people, see them for who they are. We're individuals first and foremost, and I'm big on that. I respect titles and I respect things of that nature, but first and foremost, you are a person to me. So I have to be willing to see you as a person first and foremost. Um, And then inclusion. I like to make sure everyone, I always ask people, are you okay? Are you okay? Um, How do you feel about that? I love input. I love feedback. And so I like to make sure everything and everyone is included in, you know, decision-making with the understanding there will be times that I have to, you know, put my foot down, this is what it's going to be type of thing. Um, So when you think about community outreaching, um, you are including the components of diversity, equity, and inclusion and belongingness as well. Okay, so for me, when I think of this whole thing of um, your foundation and getting all these individuals together, I guess the bigger question to me is how do you kind of get everybody on the same page when their priority is their program or what they have going on. Um, Cause I, I, I'm aware that you, you deal with a lot of different stakeholders, um, which is the blessing, but I would question whether or not it's also interesting to kind of say, okay, so this is how we're going to all play together nicely. Cause if I'm coming into a room, I would think that I have the stake. Hey, I'm coming in for my people and what we got going on type of deal. Mm-hmm. 
So first and foremost, it's all about how you present yourself. Um, because how are you going to pull in individuals from, and like you said, from various backgrounds, state, you know, stakeholders, um, from different professional, religion, cultural backgrounds, how are you going to do that? Okay. If I, I need something from you, I'm not going to come off, you know, in a nasty way. I'm going to be respectful of what it is you bring to the table. Um, and in me being respectful, I'm also going to, um, in my own way, remind everybody who's coming to the table, our sole purpose, keeping the sole purpose for even coming together at the forefront. Yes, we all have things to offer and we all want our point of views to be, you know, to get out there. Okay, but let's remember why we're here. Let's remember why we're here. And I've had to do that a couple of times. Um, and it can be on this side of, <laughs> it, it can be a little intimidating at first because okay. you're like, oh, did I just do that? Or I'm allowed to do that? Yes, you need to do that. Um, as a leader, you have to make those decisions. But in making those decisions, including everyone and in reminding everyone why we are here and doing so in a way in which they will receive you and be responsive to you. Okay, and then the another question that I think um, I would love to hear your answer to is, how do you define inclusion? How do I define inclusion? Yes, because part of the discussion or, or one of the hot buttons now in popular culture is people say, okay, I want to be inclusive, but to a point. It's kind of like they're, they're like, hey, um, I'm willing to kind of share my meal a little bit. But if you're they kind of put the correlation there to say, if I totally include you, that means I'm losing something, hmm. which I, I I don't buy into that. So please don't email me, people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I guess I'm trying to get a feel from you. How do you deal with that? I call it backlash of inclusion because inclusion to me is everyone. Everyone can eat at the table. I don't kind of walk away thinking no one can eat. Um, I think part of the discussion now within our culture, based upon everything that's going on, it's this, this little concern that if I am including, I'm losing something. Mm -mm. I don't feel like I'm losing anything ever, um, especially through inclusion. Is it challenging yes. to include everybody? Most definitely. Okay. Most definitely, because like you said, you do receive backlash. I have received a lot of backlash. Um, I feel like this past year is the most backlash that I've received um, professionally, more so than ever before. Um, however, again, my mindset is our sole purpose. Um, with the backlash and things that I receive, that actually motivates me to continue to go. But to answer your question, how do I view inclusion? It literally for me is everything and everyone. What you have to bring to the table, I'm going to include it. Um, how you're feeling in that moment, we're going to include it. That may mean we have to work around it in that moment, but I'm not going to disregard any portion of you as a person um, or what you have to offer, because in some way, shape or form, I may learn something 
I may grow as a result to whatever it is you're bringing to the table. Um, and so may the next person, you know, who's across the uh, table from me or right next to me. Um, and so I, I don't feel that anything is lost as a result to um, including an entire person, a whole person. So, so it sounds like you're taking more of um, a Crenshaw view of intersectionality and inclusion. Um, so then the next question that I have for you is, I know leadership is part of your platform for growth or the next directions. What would be the next few steps that you think is important? Like, for example, I talked to someone today and they made a valid point that in a lot of communities there, we've already talked about a topic to death. <laughs> this is how we include um, how how do we get beyond that talking conversation? How do we get to more action? It's interesting that you asked that question because in my commit in our committee meetings here, or just in general, um, I share with individuals. After a while, I get tired of talking. <laughs> I, we have to move. We got to move. Um, we got to move. Or the yeah. the statement to me: We've only always done it this way. That always frightens me. I'm always like, my hands go up that at that bothers point. Me, yes, that bothers me. We have to be willing to get uncomfortable. You have to be, and I say that because. If we're going to move, we cannot stay in the same place all the time. In order for there to be change, you have to be willing to change um, in some form or fashion. Um, and so I I like to give things um, a good solid 30 days. Um, okay, we'll talk, we'll plan, we'll action, you know, we'll do what we need to do. After that, we need to go to the, what's our next step? I like to, you know, have things um work strategically um, and have things planned out and outlined and things of that nature. Um, and so after a while, I'm not wanting to continue the same conversation we had 30 days ago or last year for that matter. Um, and so I'm really big on, okay, what is our vision? What is our plan? And let's execute. And that means we are needing to, I don't mean to go back to the word inclusive, but we need to include everybody's perspectives and thought processes and views um, so that we can start actionizing things and move forward. Um, as a leader, you have to be, you should be progressive. Otherwise, you're going to remain stagnant and things aren't going to change in your departments and your organizations and the way you do business is just going to remain the same. That gets boring. You start to, you know, lose momentum and you start to lose even sometimes the interest of not just those outside of your organizational departments, but sometimes you lose interest and motivation for those right there. And so as a leader, our responsibility is to grow and to develop um, and to nurture uh, future leaders. How are we doing that if we're just staying the same, doing the same thing over and over and over and over again? Nothing wrong with being reminded of the foundation from which we came, because that should serve as our stepping stone to keep moving forward. But don't just stay right there. We all have thoughts. We all have perspectives. We all have things and ways that we can get to the next level. 
but we're not going to get to the next level if we're stuck on what we did uh, five months and five years ago. So I'm a big, I'm an action person. And I do know that about you. So, um, okay. So I I know we're getting close to time, but I want to make a little detour before we uh, finish up to ask you um, to reflect on yourself personally and being a a woman in your field. And I would argue paving so many roads for so many people behind you. How do Mm -hmm. you deal with um, the hurdles, if you have any. So if you can kind of tell us some of the hurdles or um, the detours that may deter you at times. And then how do you build and grow on that to stay? Because you're always positive. I've never seen you on a day where you're not positive. How do you stay in that positive space? Because um, I, to me, one of the reasons that they place you in the position is because of your action. But how do you stay on that road? Oh, I, again, I loaded. It was a loaded question. <laughs> okay. Hurdles, yes. Um, and I, as I stated a couple of minutes ago, this past year, I faced several, hur- several hurdles, excuse me, um, a lot professionally, some personally, slash medically. Um, so hurdles, most definitely. Um, and it has not been easy especially professionally. I'm being very transparent and I'm not ashamed to say that um, because those that I work alongside, they're fully aware. Um, It has not been easy. However, I have never been one to quit. I'm not a quitter. I'm not going to start now and I never will be. Um, One of the things that I always keep implanted in my mind is um, I do have Uh, I do have a daughter and she has always been my reasoning for moving and for making the decisions and things that I make, um, both positive and negative. Um, And I say that because honestly, without her, I, I, I don't even know what any of this would have looked like. So she's my reason for moving the way that I move. Um, In addition to that, how do I stay positive? my firm foundation. Um, If I didn't have my relationship and trust in God, I would not be where I'm at professionally, personally, or at all, socially. Um, My relationship with him, keeping a very tight um, support system, which is my family, and the few that I am very close to who do motivate and who just support me and cheer me on and, you know, things of that nature who cry and laugh and all of that with me and who have walked this journey with me. That is how I remain positive. That's how I remain content. Um, that is how I just keep pressing on full force. No, it is not easy, <laughs> but I know that I'm not doing this. Um, for myself. And that's the other thing. And I share this here at work. Um, I share with my colleagues, yes, I'm the first to have this role, but I'm not having this role and I'm not fulfilling this role for me. I'm doing it for our department and for those beyond me, because someone's going to have this role after me uh, someday. (laughs) So, you know, I'm just creating the foundation for it. And I do it passionately, passionately and wholeheartedly with the mindset of it's not about me, nor is it for me. So that's how I'm able to keep going. And I do it with a smile no matter what. 
Yeah, I always see you with a smile. I've never not seen you with a smile, which I'm always thankful for because some days, you know, you just have a rough day and you're like, oh, I know she's going to be smiling. (laughs) So it's always a good thing. Okay, we are at time, but I just want to give you space to say anything you'd like to add on at the end. And of course, we're going to have you back. So don't feel like we're not going to have you back. to tell us anything else that you think we're missing in relationship to women and justice. And did, uh, and I don't think I asked you, did I ask you how you define justice? You I don't think not. so. Yeah, yeah. How do you, <laughs> before we go, so answer that. The first one, how do you define justice? Another loaded. I know, I'm doing these loaded questions. Oh, man, on good afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Justice, justice. Um, I, I kind of go back to the whole equality piece. Okay. That comes to my mind, <clears throat> excuse me, um, when I think of justice. Are we being treated equally? Um, is everyone receiving, um, is due diligence being um, taken in handling certain matters? Um, not certain matters, but all matters are um, individuals being looked at as individuals, as people, um, or are we looking at them because of, you know, for face value, what what you see, what they're presented with, or how they present themselves, um, color-wise or culturally-wise. Um, so equal, equality is what comes to my mind when I think of justice. Um, and then that then leads me to your question regarding women and, you know, um, the justice system and leadership. Right. If I got that correctly. Um, with regards to justice and with regards to us as women, my goal is to specifically here where I am at professionally and in my department, whatever I can do to help raise the bar for the women for our department and in our department. Um, That's what I define the leadership as here. Um, It's important for more of us to be existent, more of our faces to sit at the table, to walk through the doors. That's important. Um, It's not always well received because I have experienced that as well. Um, and especially as a woman of color, it's not always well received. Um, however, that's okay because I know that I was assigned to the different roles and things that I have been blessed to have. Um, but it's important to me to see more of us at the table, walking in the rooms, stepping in rooms, having our names mentioned, even when we're not even in there. Mm. Um, that's, that's powerful to me. That's important to me. So whatever I can do to contribute to that, I will do it every single day and I will fulfill this role to the best of my ability and then some. Well, I think that's a perfect way to end. Thank you so much for your time and doing this. I know you came in kind of helping me out last minute. So I really, really appreciate it. Um, I know you're busy. I know you're very busy. Um, And then uh, say your church and your sorority again so we don't get in trouble. (laughs) Okay. 
Born and raised from Shiloh Church of God in Christ here in Harrisburg. Um, my pastor is uh, Pastor Kevin L. Scott. My late pastor is Pastor Carl E. Hines. And my father is my assistant pastor. I'm a proud member and final woman of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated and have been for 23 and a half years. Thank you so much for your time. Today, we took a moment to really think about probation and juveniles, a population that we are challenged in society to protect. It is an imperative that you hear, and one person can have a huge impact on so many. Remember, the key is to tell someone about what you heard today. Do not keep it to yourself.